fantastic day. So today I wanted to do a quick, uh, this won't be too quick, it'll be like half an hour, 45 minutes maybe, but a sort of quick overview of the teaching of the Cappadocians when it comes to the Filioque. Uh, so frequently what you'll get, uh, this was kind of prompted by David Erhan's video that he posted yesterday uh, talking about the Filioque. These guys, they will rebuke others for quote mining uh, when it comes to the papacy or even something like the filioque, essence, energies, distinction, whatever whatever it may be, they will accuse others of quote mining, but then they won't, uh, when it comes to their usage of patristic sources, uh, actually provide, you know, these type of general overviews, uh, which argue from the errors that they were responding to and looks at the that context and then also looks at the context of entire arguments that were being made and responded to and then uh, other theses that they held they don't uh, go into that they kind of just say like cause uh ek perumanon spam 1000 um and and then don't even respond to the arguments given uh by cardinal basarian uh, of nicaea for example which has become classic but I just wanted to uh, provide actually some notes from my Ubi Petrus debate. Uh, this was something that I responded to quickly in one of one of uh, my replies. And I think it was kind of glossed over by people because it was in the middle. It was kind of like stuck in the middle of a debate. But this is a classic sort of uh, reading of the Cappadocians, an argument that's given by Patavius. If you don't know Patavius, um, he was a uh, 17th century Jesuit who has this massive, massive, massive work uh, on the history of dogma. And it's become a classic. His knowledge of both the Latin and Greek fathers are unmatched and uh, really don't get surpassed until the 19th century with the Collegio uh, Romano theologians. But actually, uh, a bit of bit of an exciting announcement. I've been thinking about doing this for a very, very long time, and I think uh, the next few months is when I'm gonna, going to be able to do this. I'm actually going to be doing a series of videos uh, going through uh, Patavius's chapters in book seven um, on within his uh, dogmatic, uh, really historical dogmatic theology within the volume on the Trinity. And it's still a very lengthy um, piece. So I'll be going through that. Uh, if, if, uh, so here, here's the sort of, here's the sort of thing. So I can read uh, Patavius. I can read him. 
Um, but I'm not confident enough in my translation skills uh, to like provide a translation for you guys or anything like that. So uh, basically, it's just going to be me in the video uh, kind of explaining uh, what Patavia says. And I'm also going to kind of provide like a paraphrase type thing that I'm going to write. Uh, and that's going to be available to patrons, uh, $25 and over. Uh, I'll basically just paraphrase the entire thing for you. Uh, it's going to be, I, I guess it'll be more of a strict uh, translation, um, but it, it's not going to be great. Uh, well, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to give the sense, um, but it's going to be a bit awkward, I guess, is the best way of putting it. That, that's why I don't want to put it out in public. I don't think that'd be responsible to put it out in public. But if you want to uh, support this series... Uh, I, I will be giving it to patrons $25 and over. And then also, if you uh, do a direct donation, you can do that through Subscribestar, I think, or you can do it uh, through PayPal, uh, through my PayPal, which is militantomist at gmail.com. So, yeah, that, that's going to be a project that I guess I, I wanted to announce during a video on the Filioque. Um, but, yeah, uh, look forward to that. I think I do think Patavius, um, he, he was an insane petrologist. Uh, especially when it comes to this issue, it, it's just unmatched and uh, nobody, nobody can or has ever responded to Patavius. He's been, it's been 400 years and he's, and he's still winning. So that's going to be coming up. Uh, and I would appreciate it if uh, those of you who are excited about that would consider supporting that project. And then also as another brief note, uh, if you want to get the hat that's in bio, um, but all of you who are watching right now, um, I like to say when I do videos like this, that this is a concession. This is a concession. I hate doing videos like this, sort of like response uh, type stuff. Um, this is this is a concession uh, because I know you guys watch this and I know that I can um, make good comments in here that'll kind of bring you up from the place that you're at right now. Uh, because watching YouTube apologetic videos uh, constantly as your main diet of theology is terrible. It's horrible. Look, look, I'm looking at you right in the eyes right now. It's terrible. You guys shouldn't be doing this as like your, your whole sort of thing. Sure. These are fine. Uh, when it comes to, uh, if you use them properly and they're great, if you're using them to find out other resources or to get a general idea of something before you dive into reading it yourself or whatever it may be. Um, but to just use these as your, complete diet of theology uh, is really damaging to your soul. So I just want to say that I am doing these videos as concession. I don't think that these uh, should be really a main focus even. Um, but if you if you do and are interested uh, in uh, actually uh, studying these things properly, um, I have reprinted um, Father A.M. Henry, The Theology Library. It's six volumes. Um, it was made by a bunch of Dominicans back in the 1940s and 50s. I think it was 70 French Dominicans wrote this. This was like during Garrigou's era, too. So these guys were um, very conservative, very well trained. Um, it's meant to bridge that sort of gap between um, being at the catechism level and being at a more technical um theological level so the theology library is really good uh for that um and also a, a bit of a simpler one i have uh i reprinted and put together one from copens which also goes over um scholastic philosophy as well in an, in an easier way so go in the link below um 
to my uh, Lulu page. I reprinted a few of those. So uh, let's actually uh, now get into it. After after that notice, uh, if if you guys don't don't listen to what I'm saying right now, I'm going to be very mad at you if you're like taking this video and, and using it like you do all the other videos. I see you guys. I know what you do, and I'm disgusted by it. And stop treating theology like this. You're bad. Don't do it. Okay. This is this is really the reason that I'm making this video, just so I can tell you guys this. But okay, I will actually get into the the Cappadocians now. So when we when we look at the Cappadocians and what the Cappadocians were dealing with, they were dealing with a, a certain group called the Macedonians. They're also known as the Pneumatomachians. So the Macedonians or uh, Pneumatomachians, they denied the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So that was the debate that was happening at the time. Um, some of them were like, a lot of them, I guess, were, were semi-Aryans too, but they basically thought that the Holy Spirit either was some sort of creature, some sort of force, uh, whatever it may be. So the state of the question with the Macedonians uh, was not concerning the Spirit's procession from the sun. And actually, the Spirit's pr procession from the sun was assumed in the debate. Both sides agreed with the Spirit's procession from the sun. The debate between the uh, the Cappadocians and the Pneumatomachians was over the Spirit's procession from the Father. That's where the debate was. So this is where uh, my argument is really going to take its starting point. Is that that's what you need to realize? First of all, that the um, that the debate between the Macedonians and the Cappadocians was not over the Spirit's procession from the Son. Everybody agreed with that. It was over the Spirit's procession from the Father. And that's what needed to be uh, focused on. And this is going to make a lot of sense of the type of language they use, why um, they can even use seemingly contradictory language, the type of things they focused on, uh, why um, something sometimes authors will speak in this way, sometimes authors will speak in that way. This is going to make a lot of sense over what's going on. So when the fathers argue that the spirit proceeds from the father, it is already implied, as I said, that the Spirit proceeds from the Son. This is assumed. Since this was not a matter for debate. Um, and this is going to be, because it's already assumed, it's going to be less explicit in the writings. But we can still draw it out, which is what I'm going to be doing now. So the Pneumatomachians, they admitted the consubstantiality resulting from the origin through begetting. So when it comes to the sun, it was it was more or less. Uh, so they, they weren't exactly um, solid uh, on it. But they weren't as extreme um, as you get with a with a strong um, Aryan belief. So. Um, but the the issue uh, that they came into uh, with this belief of basically consubstantiality, kind of broad belief that we had, was that they thought that in God, as in humans, as in human beings, there couldn't be any other type of consubstantiality except one through begetting. So this is why when you read the type of objections that the Pneumatomachians are making, they're saying that in order for the Holy Spirit to be consubstantial with the Father and the Son, it must be begotten by the Father or the Son. And then therefore, the Spirit would be the Son's brother or the Father's grandson. That's why you get 
this type of uh, or the the son's son, the father's uh, grandson, son's sons or son's brother. So you either get these sort of two begettings or you get one begetting and then another beginning. That's what the Numitamachians thought uh, when it came to um, the consubstantiality of the spirit. That was um, a huge argument uh, for them. And, you know, I've never seen any of these guys uh, to even discuss this or even recognize this. This is why uh, there was this argument, because they couldn't imagine any other type of consubstantial procession rather than uh, begetting. So uh, their argument basically went uh, like this, that uh, since um, consubstantiality is only through begetting, um, and you say the Holy Ghost is consubstantial with the Father, therefore the Holy Ghost must either be the son's brother or the father's grandson, and they argue, well, this is, uh, these both are absurd conclusions. So um, it had to be uh, some type of uh, making through the son. And thus, the Holy Ghost would not be consubstantial with the Son, much less with the Father, uh, as proceeding uh, from their substance, which is nevertheless necessary if divine nature belongs to him. And, and you, you can see this sort of uh, argument uh, answered uh, by St. Basil in Against Eunomius Book 5. Uh, this is where these objections are going to be dealt with, and the fact that the Pneumatomachians uh, were, were bringing this up. So against uh, so so how did how did the uh, Cappadocians uh, how did the Cappadocians answer uh, this objection? So uh, they're going to answer or, or argue in two different ways. So the first way, uh, the way that I'm, I'm going to focus on first, is going to be to directly affirm that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, yet clarify that it's after a different mode. You see this a lot. This is a very common way of doing it. And this is actually how the uh, the Council of Constantinople 381, that's how they dealt with uh, this issue, just by saying the spirit proceeds from the Father. And then uh, if you ask them, they will clarify that uh, procession is not the same as begetting. They're different modes, and therefore we don't get this collapse into the spirit being the son's brother. So uh, when when they make this argument, a lot of times what you'll get from uh, from Eastern Orthodox is they'll say on the basis of these texts that, well, they're saying that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, the Spirit proceeds from the Father, the Father is a cause alone of the Spirit, and so on and so forth. And because of this, uh, they'll say that, um, therefore, the Cappadocians, they um, denied that the Spirit, they denied the Filioque. The spirit proceeds from the sun or through the sun, which I guess I could do a different video on the, uh, those different languages, uh, the different language of um, uh, from the sun and through the sun. But that's not really important right now. But what we have to recognize uh, from the context that we've already brought up with the debate with the Pneumatomachians, that it was not necessary to say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the sun also, because first, the opponents did not deny rather declared outright that the Son is is the principle of the Holy Ghost. This was already assumed by the Pneumatomachians. And actually, I think this is the strongest point, is when we look through the Cappadocians, the Cappadocians are not uh, sp spilling a lot of ink, or really, I think, any ink, um, unless, of course, uh, you the ink that they spilled denying that the Spirit was created by the Son. But again, that's not what we say. But the... 
the Cappadocians did not spill a lot of ink uh, going against the Pneumatomachians, arguing that the Son is the principle of the Holy Ghost. So if if the Cappadocians were extreme anti, uh, extremely against the Filioque, they obviously uh, would have spilled a lot of ink on this. They would have uh, disputed this uh, very severely. And then second, uh, according to their understanding, the procession of another person from the Father self-evidently appeared to be mediated by the person who proceeds as son from the Father, which you can gather from uh, gather from many texts, which we're going to be uh, going into in a bit more detail. This is just the general uh, sort of outline right now. So if you, um, by way of the uh, taxis of the persons, if you posit that there is a another hypostasis proceeding from the father it's necessarily going to be mediated uh through the son but you get this language of uh, mediation uh being spoken of explicitly in uh in the cappadocians so um there's actually three reasons why uh, it makes sense that the greek fathers and constantinople did not mention uh, the Filioque in their polemics. Uh, so first, um, and I mean formally explicitly by that. So first, its intention was primarily to set the origin of the Holy Ghost in parallel with that of the Son in relation to the cons their consubstantiality with the Father. Because remember, the huge thing that they're dealing with is the fact that the Pneumatomachians were... Uh, saying that the only way in which the spirit could be consubstantial is if the spirit was begotten which they just denied and then interestingly they just glossed over the the whole procession from the sun thing at the pneumatomachian they believed him second because the opponents were uh, more or less arians who denied the sun's divinity and therefore cannot be refuted by his procession from the sun so this is important i said before kind of more or less believed in consubstantiality kind of a bit um, but not really. <laughs> so uh, basically the sort of Aryan um, quibbling over the term God. Um, so since since they uh, were a bit Aryan, um, again, like they're, these categories are hard to uh, put back on some of these guys. But since they were uh, they were not very strong, when it came to consubstantiality, it wouldn't even make sense to uh, refute them um, by mentioning the filioque uh, in this context. Because what what would that do for them? They would be like, well, okay, well, we, we don't think the, the son is, con we don't think the son is uh, absolutely equal to the father anyways, so what? Like, who cares? And then uh, third, Constantinople, uh, they wanted to, support its definitions on sacred scripture formatically. So they wanted to mention only that which could uh, more or less directly and immediately be founded upon sacred scripture in order to silence the mouth of heretics. And we actually see another example of this, and, and I would actually be interested in asking uh, Eastern Orthodox what they what they would think about this. Um, if they want to go the whole route, which some of them, the smarter ones don't, but some of them uh, will go to this route is, well, the, the, Constantinople said from the father we can't we can't add on to that uh, even as uh, a point of theology or a point of clarification of dogma uh, because that's just what the, the that's just what the council says 
Well, on the other hand, um, Constantinople actually doesn't use the term God for the Holy Spirit because you get only indirect statements in sacred scripture calling the uh, calling the Holy Spirit God. Uh, but you you do get direct statements calling the Holy Spirit Lord. So this is why it calls the Spirit the Lord, the giver of life. So we have to be very careful about uh, making making this argument. So it makes perfect sense uh, that this wouldn't have been something which was brought up because of the necessity of bringing about conclusion. So on the other hand, uh, when we do look at the West and what the West was doing at this time, uh, they don't have the same um, context of the Pneumatomachians. Again, if you if you try to discuss the Cappadocians and their belief on the Filioque without discussing what the Pneumatomachians believed and the type of arguments they gave and what responses were necessary and what responses were fitting, then you're not going to be able to understand this at all. Uh, that That's just the truth. But in the West, uh, they were a lot less concerned uh, when it came to this polemical environment, this situation of defeating the Pneumatomachians because there weren't really Pneumatomachians uh, in the West that were uh, around every corner. So reasonably speaking, they actually added the formula to their writings uh, in order to form a more complete statement, because since they weren't disputing with these heretics, um, there wasn't this sort of um, dialectical environment where there was an assumed premise. There, uh, there wasn't this need to respond to heretics, which usually require a more or less formal, uh, formatic, uh, formium, form, I, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, formatic, I guess formatic would be the term, sort of like formatic um, equity, I guess you could say, between the uh, terms formally spoken in sacred scripture and then the, the form of your definition. Because when you're defeating a heretic, you want to make sure uh, that you're using the exact words of divine revelation. I think uh, that's super important. But when you're more or less expounding um, upon uh, sacred theology, you can uh, draw out with clearer notions of uh, what's being spoken of. And this is this is not to say that the same feeling was not felt in the East also in some cases. You can see this in Epiphanius's uh, Enquiratus, where the uh, filioque is explicitly used. So now uh, this was this was the, the first uh, sort of way that this was responded to. And if you don't remember, the, um, the first way was to affirm directly that the spirit proceeds from the father, yet clarify that it's not after the mode of begetting. So we're not mentioning here uh, the filioque at all. So the second way, and oh my, this, uh, <laughs> the live chat. Um, I'm not going to be reading the live chat at all, so you guys can can go cry. So the second way uh, was to point to the Pneumatomachian's own statement that the spirit was from the son or through the son. And show how this necessarily entailed the spirit was from the father. So the first way was top down. And this way was bottom up. And again, um, when it comes to these statements or these arguments, there is no hint that they disagreed with these statements in principle. Rather, there's a clear assumption that both sides agreed on this point. Rather, the disagreement was over the spirit's procession from the father. And again, like the, the sort of um, argument that the the language of perfilium, so through the sun, was somehow like specifically uh, talking about an energetic procession or temporal manifestation or whatever it may be. It, this is just completely removed from the context of the argument. 
why would it make sense to give this argument when the whole point of the debate with the Pneumatomachians had to do with the uh, with the confusion of the Pneumatomachians uh, when it came to uh, the procession of the spirit and the fact that they only thought that begetting uh, was the only way in which um, the divinity could be communicated. Uh, it will numerically communicated. Why, why would it, why would that, why would it just make sense to just all of a sudden bring up like, Oh, okay, here we have energetic manifestation over here. Like what? Why, why would you bring that up? And you see, this is just from, uh, unfortunately, and it's really, and, I, and I'm not using this in like the, the cope cope way, but this is a, a serious, um, this is serious theological coping here. You are, you, you have this conclusion that you need to shove in there that you need to just, um, you need to just assert and no matter what is thrown at you. And you see this in Craig Truglia's a uh, very unfortunate video um, about uh, the filioque that he just released. It's, it's really coping is you have this conclusion that you need to push and you will just do anything possible, no matter how unreasonable, rather than uh, because, I mean, there's some things uh, within Roman Catholicism. I'm a Roman Catholic where obviously uh, there's things I need to believe and it's hard for me to uh, hard to me to explain those things. That's totally fine. But you don't go out there. I don't go out there and become an apologist for those things and somehow just like um, spend all day giving some of the most unreasonable explanations just so I can shove in my conclusion. It's just it's it really is a cope in, in the in the purest possible sense. Is you have these statements uh, in context like, for example, the, the Athanasian Creed. When the Athanasian Creed, uh, obviously not from St. Athanasius, the Athanasian Creed was in the West used um, in a quasi-liturgical way. You see, uh, you see sort of like proto-Athanasian creeds uh, being preached by saints, both East and West saints, in the 5th and 6th century, then eventually gets used in the uh, in the liturgical offices, so it's used in a liturgical way in some of the most important sees. It's used um, for the affirmations of bishops and their consecrations. It's used in these ways. It's clearly expounding the theology of Saint Augustine, and you get a very clear statement that, like, hey, this is this procession of the Spirit. We're talking about the same thing as the beginning of the Son. That is uh, something which is the uh, which is a procession which communicates the divine essence, and you have the Orthodox. They see these statements right next to each other. They say, "Well, this one's talking about the begetting of the Son, but this one's talking about the energetic energetic manifestation of the Spirit." They're not parallel uh, statements at all. What? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. The only reasonable position. The only reasonable position to take is just to say that the West fell and basically deny um, that the church has this incorruptibility in doctrine. It's the only way of doing it is just to say from the beginning, the West was just uh, 
had had like these seeds of heresy and and the east was the only one that that kept it pure but even even then we'll see through the types of images that the cappadocians use through the uh, type of language and comparisons that they use between the procession of the spirit and the begetting of the sun it's it's super clear that in some ways the cappadocians were more intense when it came to the filioque than even the western fathers were and that gave some discomfort uh when we uh first got access um, to a lot of these writings is that caused some discomfort in us because it seemed like they were um, they were affirming it too intensely. But after that brief aside, I will continue. So the second way uh, was to point to the Numatomachians' own statement that the spirit was from the son or through the son and show how this necessarily entailed that the spirit was from the father. Notice there's no hint that they disagreed with these statements in principle from the sun or through the sun. Rather, there's a clear assumption that both sides agreed on this point. Rather, the disagreement was over the spirit's perception from the father. So uh, this method, so this method of responding to, uh, of going from the sun through the sun to show how this entailed that the spirit was from the father, this can be considered in two ways. So first from the dogmatic pers uh, perspective, and then second from the apologetic perspective. And in either case, uh, these can be reduced to three stages. Uh, so I'm going to be very clear about each of these stages, and we're going to see, be able to categorize every single statement and argument when it comes to this point from the Cappadocians. And they all hinge on the correct explanation and origin of the Holy Ghost through the Son and uniformly emphasize or presuppose in the most unambiguous way the procession of the Holy Ghost from the Son. So when it comes to these statements, all of them are just going to be utterly meaningless unless you agree with the filioque. So first, uh, when we look at the dogmatic method, uh, this was done uh, both negatively and positively. So first, negatively, uh, they show that through the sun is not to be taken in the sense of creation. So um, this was a, a lot of the, um, when, when you get the Numatomachians uh, talking about the procession of the spirit from the sun or through the sun or whatever it may be, uh, the language that they were using it uh, in, in whatever circumstance, uh, you get that they took this uh, in the sense of creation. They didn't take it in our sense, which is the sense of a, um, of a principle proceeding from another uh, principle by way of procession uh, with the communication of a numerically um, same divine essence. That's not what they meant. They meant creation. So they meant that the spirit was somehow made. So think of like, they were, they were basically like super Aryans, but when it came to the, when it came to the spirit. So first negatively, they show that through the son is not to be taken in the sense of creation as all things are through him, but rather in the sense of the production of a homogeneous hypostasis proceeding from the son's substance and therefore inseparably united to him. So um, they prove this by showing that the spirit is himself principle of creation. So they say, well, through the sun, from the sun can't mean creation because the spirit participates in creation. This is actually in a very similar way as um, you get some of the anti-Aryan fathers proving that these that firstborn of all creation does not mean um, that the son, according to his divinity, is created uh, because the uh, son himself is a principle of creation so how could he create himself so they show that the spirit himself is the principle of creation of theosis conforming to the son and uniting to the father and the reasoning is that uh quote cannot happen unless 
in the Holy Ghost's origin through the Son, the latter substance and power passes over to him, and he is of and in the substance of the Son. And this is um, and this is as in Athanasius's letter uh, 54, uh, number one. So thus the uh, fathers call the spirit, the operation, energy, and quality of the Son. Notice, these are the, these, this, this is the type of language, the operation, energy, and quality of the Son. And then they illustrate this uh, by pointing uh, to the origin of the Holy Ghost from the Son as fragrance to flower, breath to mouth, finger to arm, flower to stem, sweetness to honey, flowing water to spring, mist to water, shining with light and warmth with fire. These are the type of images that were used when it came to the relationship between the Spirit and the Son. Again, no, no hint whatsoever because of the context of the debate that this was uh, somehow talking about uh, some sort of manifestation or energetic procession or whatever it may be. And then they also disputed this positively. So positively, they argued that the origin of the Holy Ghost through the Son has so little in common with that of creatures, that instead it must be placed on a par with the origin of the Son from the Father. So notice, there's this very common uh, way in which this is more common than the last one, uh, but this is a very common way of speaking is they'll compare the, uh, basically their argument goes, the, um, the, the son is to the, well, the spirit is to the son as the son is to the father. Now the son is consubstantial with the father. Therefore, the, the spirit is consubstantial with the son and the father. And from this, we can conclude that the procession is not one of creation. So uh, that the origin of the Holy Ghost through the Son has so little in common with that of creatures, that instead it must be placed on a par with the origin of the Son from the Father. Since in the case of the Holy Ghost with regard to the origin from the Son's substance, exactly the same relation exists as between the Son and the Father. And hence also the Son's precedence as principle over the Holy Ghost, which in fact exists, does not abolish the equality and real unity of nature between the two, any more than the Father's precedence does between the Son and the Father. So, um, and then in this, uh, this is what I was talking about with the uh, more intense filioque in the East. So in this, they use the same language for the, uh, son, the Son's relation to the Father as the Spirit's relation to the um, Son. So they'll call the Spirit the word of the sun, they'll call the spirit the image of the sun, they'll call the spirit the splendor of the sun, they'll call the spirit the face of the sun, they'll call the spirit the seal of the sun, they'll call the spirit the figure of the sun, they'll call the spirit the form of the sun. And actually, um, although obviously um, the uh, Nicholas of Durazzo, Nicholas of Durazzo, I think that's the last name, Nicholas of Durazzo's quotes were forged. Um, which is what St. Thomas was commenting on. Um, St. Thomas didn't forge the quotes. He knew they were forged, which is why he never used them again. But this is why St. Thomas, when in Contrarius Corcorum, he's reconciling the statements Nicholas of Durazzo puts forward with the type of language that Latins use. This is why um, we, we kind of have to explain away some of that language. And um, be, because we're very uncomfortable with, with that language. Because it seems like, uh, from calling the spirit the image, splendor, word, face, seal, figure, form of the Son, that you're doing away with the the Father's participation in the um, in the causality 
of the spirit. That's what it sounds like, which is why you get some of the Latins get really uncomfortable with how intense the Greeks were in affirming the procession of the spirit from the sun. This is why. So if you want specific places, um, again, this is Athanasius, so a bit of a, not not a classic uh, Cappadocian, but kind of like a the father of the Cappadocians. So Athanasius in his first and third epistle to Serapion, and um, at the beginning of the third letter, he explicitly emphasizes that in the second letter, he treated the consubstantiality of the Son, although it was supposed to discuss the Holy Ghost, because the relation of the Holy Ghost to the Son was quite analogous to that of the Son of the Father. So that uh, from the idea of the Son, we might be able to obtain right knowledge of the Holy Ghost also, for we find that the Holy Ghost has uh, to the Son the same property which we know the Son has to the Father. So this is explicitly being uh, spoken of. So yeah, uh, Athanasius uh, right there kind of discusses the issue that we're talking about right now. And just as the Son says, all things that the Father hath are mine, so too we find that all things that are in the Holy Ghost through the Son. So um, <clears throat> in the third place, so in the third place, the church fathers, the Cappadocians in uh, particular, show how the Holy Ghost, precisely because he stands to the Son in the same relation as the latter does to the Father, proceeds not only from the Son alone, but rather through the Son. So they're able to, uh, from this, uh, conclude to a more precise statement. Or from the Father too, no less than from the Son. And that consequently, although he is not begotten of the Father like the Son, he receives the substance of the Father through the Son, just as truly as the latter, in that the power characteristic of begetting works upon him via the Son. So uh, this connection uh, that I just mentioned, it's called suntoixeia. Uh, Sorry, my, uh, my Greek is a little bit... Um, yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to meme myself because my Greek is terrible. Uh, by Athanasius, and then it's called Akalothea Kata Ten Toxin uh, by Basil. It is elucidated by the fathers uh, through further elaboration of the sensory images mentioned above. So um, they don't just stick with those sensory images we have above, but they actually give uh, certain images that um, are, include the Father as a fount of deity. So um, the three persons are related as root, flower, and fragrance. Root is the father, flower is the son, fragrance, fragrance is the spirit. So you get the, um, the fragrant, fragrance comes from the root through the flower. Again, the flower is truly a principle of the fragrance. And also source, stream, and outflow, or wellspring and stream. This is actually the analogy I always use to describe what Itia was in the father's is basically um, the source or, or the well. The well is basically an uncaused cause, if you want to put it like that, or unprincipled principle. And then the spring is a principled principle which communicates to the stream or the outflow, which is the, uh, which is the one who is just principled and is not a principle of any other. So these are the type of images they use. Again, doesn't sound too good for... Um, for the Orthodox position, I've never, I've actually never seen a an analysis of the images that the Cappadocians use uh, from Orthodox. Never, I've never seen it. And then also another image is sun ray in apex or light splendor in ray. And then the Son and the Holy Ghost are related to the Father as His mouth and breath, proceeding through the mouth 
then also as his arm and the finger branching out from the arm, uh, that's another uh, image which is used. So um, that is that's the manner in which uh, dogmatically uh, they're going to do things. And now uh, also they uh, do this apologetically, uh, answering directly uh, objections. So the first objection, which Eunomius in particular insisted on, was that the order of origin in the Trinity also involves a gradually declining order in the dignity and the nature of the three persons and an essential difference in separation in terms of substance. So what you're going to get is basically like, think about Arianism, except um, I think they were a little bit, a uh, little bit higher than like your, your sort of uh, heterousian people. So they're kind of like sent what, what we call semi-Arians. Um, so you have, you have like these sort of semi-Arians, except they have like a third level. That's basically what they believed is like you have this sort of descending level of godness where the, the father creates the son to be of like substance with him. And then the son creates the spirits to be of like substance with him. So you basically have you have like a, a sort of third uh, third level kind of thing. So to this, the church fathers had only one answer. This was true neither in the case of the Holy Ghost with respect to the son nor in the case of the son with respect to the father. Rather, it both uh, cases the origin, includes the most intimate union and communion, and hence no other difference remains uh, but that of origin itself. So um, this is clearly taught uh, by St. Basil in the beginning of Book 3 against Eunomius. Uh, he says, if the spirit is third in dignity and rank, is there some necessity that he be third in nature as well? The word of piety transmits uh, that he is second to the son in dignity as one who has his being from the son, uh, his being from the son. Interesting. Uh, that definitely is energetic, right? And takes from him and announces to us and altogether dependent on that cause. But we have not learned from the holy scriptures that a third nature is necessary, uh, nor do the preceding claims make it possible to infer such a conclusion. The son is second to the father in rank because he is from him. He is second to the father in dignity because the father is the principle and cause by virtue of which he is the son's father. And because we approach and access, access the God and father through the son. Even so, the son is not second by nature since there is one divinity in both of them. And then through for all of these, you can look at uh, Patavius book seven, chapter three, and then also Franzlin thesis 35 um, in his um, De Divitrino. Secundum personas, um, you can get a, an elucidation and a bunch more examples. I'm kind of kind of skimping, I guess, on examples right now because I just want to get the get the like outline uh, of it before your face and not like just throw in ten examples of each. And you also um, get this in Saint Gregory against Eunomius Book One, where he declares, "Just as the Son is joined to the Father." And while having his being from him is not after him by existence, so too the Holy Ghost is dependent on the Son, who is considered to be before the hypostasis of the Spirit only by reason according to the idea of cause. So the uh, Son is caused. So it's not cause in the sense of idea, uh, because again, um, and, I, and I, explain all, I explained all this in my post-debate review. I explained it a million times, so I won't get into the whole Council of Florence thing. But in the, in the sense of the Greek fathers, cause is a principle without a principle, basically. 
So um, the second objection that Eunomius brings forth is that uh, if the Spirit was from the Son and the Son is from the Father, that he would be the grandson of the Father. So it's important to recognize this. So the Father's reply to this, not by denying the hypostatic origination of the Spirit, it's not what they do, but by explaining that the Holy Ghost, precisely as the Spirit of God and of Christ, stands in an immediate relation to both the Father and the Son, like the human spirit to a man. And consequently, being through the Son, in his case, has an altogether different meaning than in the relation of origins of human persons. So they do not, do not, do not reply by denying the hypostatic origination of the Spirit. If they were anti-filioque, that's all they had to do. They'd be like, nah, he's not the grandson of the Father. You're, you're dumb. Uh, he's, he's from the Father. He's not from the Son. You're stupid. That's not how they did that. That's not how they did that. So um, the effort uh, to counter the above-mentioned argument of the Macedonians was a particular reason why the Greek fathers, in particular Basil, sought to trace the Holy Ghost with the Son back to the Father as a common principle of both, and thereby to prevent uh, present the Son also in the spiration of the Holy Ghost merely as a mediator of a production proceeding from the Father himself. This is very important, is the, the Son acts as mediator um, of the spiration of the spirit so this is this is why it's so important that the that we trace back the father as the common principle of both and soul idea of the trinity soul cause of the trinity in the greek patristic sense again this is why it's so important uh so we are able to uh, deny that the spirit is somehow the the grandson of the father so the third objection uh, that they bring forward was that if the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father just as truly as the Son does, he must likewise be Son of the Father and Brother of the Son. And the Church Fathers solved this objection partly by noting in general that the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Father in the same way as the Son, but also partly by defining more precisely this other way to the effect that the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Father alone and immediately in every respect, but rather precisely through the Son. Since he is not only the spirit of the father, but at the same time, spirit of the son. So with all with all of this in mind, the sort of general positions, objections and the way in which the fathers prove this. So from from their whole sort of way of uh, writing. Um, and again, this is going to I, I think I think this is something that the, the Eastern Orthodox are right to point out is the Cappadocians are going to provide the best commentary the best explanation we can have of the Creed of Constantinople. But uh, I think that in this commentary that they give, it is very evident that the creed is not taken in the sense of um, denying the son any sort of participation in the principality of the, um, of the spirit. And that, that from the father does not mean from the father alone. But rather, um, there is this uh, this context of the debate and of the language we need to we need to put forward uh, right here. But that the uh, the Holy Ghost proceeds through the Son from the Father Himself and from the Father precisely through the Son. So you you can't um, you can't even imagine really 
uh, this, if you if you know if you know the Cappadocians, you can't imagine that they would speak of from the Father, and then somehow just exclude uh, with that language the Son in any sort of sense. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. So uh, that is that's everything about. It. Oh, Eric Ybarra is in the chat. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I have my your stamp of approval. Um, yeah, and then uh, D Wong's video. Yeah, if you guys haven't watched D Wong's video, uh, definitely, um, definitely go over that. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to really uh, reply to any of the uh, the live chat because I kind of have to have to go. So I really hope that everybody uh, enjoyed this, um, and then also that everybody looks forward to that series that I'm going to be doing on uh, Patavius's uh, writings on this. And then if you would like to help out uh, that series. Definitely consider uh, becoming a patron. Again, if you're 25 and over, I'll give you my uh, I'll give you my special notes uh, when it comes to that. Um, or if you give, uh, I think what I say, like fifty dollars um, direct donation, I'll also uh, put you in like an email chain or something, an email every time I finish a section. So uh, definitely, if you'd like to help out with that, and then uh, before we go, uh, one. This, this right here. So if you're interested uh, in sort of Eastern Orthodox stuff, uh, Father Thomas Gilby's Introduction to the Development of Doctrine According to the Mind of St. Thomas is a really good book uh, when it comes to um, just understanding the way in which uh, history relates to dogma, uh, because this is going to be something that's very important uh, within this debate in particular. Uh, so definitely uh, check that out. And then also within uh, our debates with orthodoxy in general is that Newman, Newman didn't make up the development of doctrine. It was all the way back in Bonaventure and Aquinas and Henry of Ghent and, and, and all, all of those figures of, of that era. So thank you all and God bless.